Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Renaissance Marie, a Twitter menace, partial YouTuber, and recent tripod owner. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm very excited about my new tripod. Yeah, that's pretty. It is a pretty exciting item to have. Thank Um, you. My name is Sunny. I use they she pronouns. I am a I am a I am a, 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 a. I'm having an identity crisis at the beginning of our podcast. Yeah. That's actually me. Well, let me think. Like what have I not said before? I am a oh, I I am someone who does not wear bras or shave but not because it's like a feminist thing it's because it's like a lazy thing like it's like I don't want it's not it it benefits me in no way so why would I yeah but our hot take for today oh also our typically our podcast episodes go at the beginning we talk about a hot take that we've seen on the internet or that you guys sent to us uh you guys can send anything any things you want us to deconstruct or talk about um to our email which is at the lavender the lavender menace podcast at gmail.com um last week's episode we discussed um a topic and something that our listener sent in and that was really interesting Mm -hmm. But this week, because it's the first week, first few days of June, aka Pride Month. Yeah. Every Pride Month, inevitably, like, the same few topics get brought up again. The same. Like, when you first see the discourse, like, whether the first time you encounter it, well, it, part of the problem is that it only happens online, but the first time you see it, and you're like maybe new to it you're like oh my gosh why is no one talking about this such good points yada 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 and then you see it like again and then again and again and you realize that it doesn't uh matter and that these are actually the only conversations that for some reason online queer spaces seem to focus on and talk about uh and then and then you just get tired yeah (laughs) long story short um yeah. Taylor Swift you yeah. get like it's uh, like I, all I'm thinking of is the like kink at pride discourse that genuinely happens every single year yeah. I don't think a yeah. year of pride month has passed and yeah. I've not seen kink at pride this and like just takes on any topic and it's come really out. interesting because no matter what you say about it someone's not going to be happy with it regardless of whether your like political beliefs or the worldviews that you guys hold like are in any way parallel to each other or not like it doesn't even matter what like because i see people of various of like varying political alignments across the board have have incredibly like different takes on on this incredibly niche topic about something that ultimately doesn't really matter like because the thing is is that every time I've been to pride like I don't if I do not I usually see like young people who are getting drunk and then Mm -hmm. like families and people with their dogs and like um 
there's no parking and <laughs> it's literally really hot and you are uncomfortable and there might be like a drag show or something there might be and like- there's corporations oh yeah and like like branded there's little there's little flag everywhere yeah. of like local and national and international organizations that want you to like like bank of america trying to convince you that they're the least homophobic bank that because that's what i consider when i am looking for financial services is yeah. like let me see let me make sure my bank likes gay people yeah so true so <laughs> So, what were we going to talk about? We were talking about kink at Pride. It's like, like who is doing the kink at Pride? I don't understand. I feel like I've been to many Prides. And who is it doing it where it's like in a non-designated, like where it's not clearly like. Yeah. Like you're going to, if you're going to like a burlesque show, then you're going to that show. Like you're going to an event or you're going to a space that's specifically for like leather daddies or like spaces that are specifically for like people who are into whatever specific thing like duh what like duh spaces (laughs) already exist if you think that they're gonna take that and walk down like the main street in your city or town or whatever and just like in the middle of a fucking intersection like that that doesn't it's not making sense and if it if it does happen it's on such like a insular individual yeah like basis that it doesn't make sense to rehash that discourse every single year yeah and it's also because it's so rooted in like hypothetical situations that just Mm -hmm. don't come up like they there it's not and also it makes it so that it's like the what happens at pride is that like well like happens at pride stays at pride (laughs) well what happens at pride is mostly like nothing in my experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's like I don't I don't understand how I don't get how what essentially is like a single day or maybe a few days of like a parade or like like tables and booths set up and like just spaces that that's specifically for people to just walk around in um like why it's what is this like this is the event that everyone's so worried about every year. Like, I, what I don't understand, it doesn't, it's not that significant because especially, especially considering how pride at this point, like what pride looks like right now, it's not like, like it's, it's uh, it is so, it is so silly how like everything over time, every sort of movement, every sort of push for better treatment for any group of people becomes liberalized and institutionalized or othered and like banned and put on a terrorist list like those are your two options really if you're trying to make change in the world quote unquote like whether you're Nelson Mandela or fucking like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson doesn't matter who the fuck you are like you are either going to go unnoticed or when you do have notice it'll be for the reason of like like Asada Shakur like being being like mm-hmm. banned from the United States um being on like the top 10 most wanted terrorist list or it's because you've been become enfolded into these like liberal institutions of like wow we are honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Day <laughs> so has a long weekend off 
Like, yeah, you can't win. You can't win in this society, in this neoliberal hellhole, because what what do you what can you what do you think? What are like what? I don't understand what you want pride to be when you already know what pride is within this current state. Like, it's but that's just the thing is that the people who are perpetrating this discourse year after year are people who just don't even go to pride to begin with <laughs> to even yeah. actually address or criticize the reality of pride. Like, these are people that that are superimposing their queer interactions that they have online and assuming that those things happen in real life and that like the random fringe accounts or you know the one-off viral tweet that might come up on your feed that are that's like about kink or whatever is like that same passing interaction is going to happen like in reality like with people at an event and that pride is just like this sort of like in real life twitter feed when It's like not like think of the people like think of where you live, think of the people <laughs> that live where you live, and then think of how you would interact. Like that's like I mean unless you are at like a big international one like L.A. or New York or you know in like a major city where people like specifically travel to maybe go to that pride. Like if you're going to your local one, I promise you're not gonna like just see. I don't know, a fucking dom, like, actively, like, yeah. in the street, you know? Yeah. It's just, that it's not, that's not... It is quite unlikely, Baze. It's and, very... And it's not to judge people who can't go to Pride for, like, safety reasons or for health reasons or it's not accessible to you, but, like, to critique something in general that you have not experienced in real life or to make online criticisms about something that happens in real life without ever having had any experience with it is like not you're not gonna like see the change that you think you're going to make because essentially what you are critiquing doesn't exist or doesn't exist to the scale that you are like projecting that it is and these hypotheticals that they're making of these like children that are just gonna see bare dicks swinging about in public (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh think of the children um i think that that's the thing about like lgbt discourse online in general period every always at any point of the year Mm -hmm. is that it's like so many of you so many young people come to the internet to try to find like a community or like group a group of people who like are not the cishets of their of the people that they are around like in their hometown yeah or whatever. Okay. and then you related. go there and you get kind of sucked into that and then you just never and then that becomes your life and then you never go outside again like we need to go outside yeah. we need to touch grass terminally online yeah we like you why are you arguing with with me a stranger on the internet that that i as a lesbian am individually oppressing every bisexual in the world yeah like and then when i post pictures with like my friends and like making jokes Mm -hmm. being like oh well i'm so biphobic and like everyone i've ever grown up around and all of my best friends and even i when we were friends in high school or whatever we're all bi 
and none of our interactions have anything to do with <laughs> with our sexualities at all it, and then and then people being in response to that being like wow like your friends you're probably so evil to your friends or like with that sort of presumption in response well, like- it's so funny it's like have you never had an interaction with a human being like <laughs> Oh. it's true because so many of the like being online I, I, like there's some critiquing online culture you spend time online and like there are actual like toxic and bad things that happen in online communities is different than when you are like what you said, like so entrenched in thinking that things that happen online mirror reality or that one person who has X number amount of followers or whatever online is just going around actively making people's lives hell on the day to day. And that's their only form of human interaction is like different, you know, Mm -hmm. harassing someone and being like, yeah, there should not be online harassment in general, period is like is a something that like when seen should be addressed but thinking that one person has the power to oppress other people or that one person yeah or a single interaction is oppression or that one person the capability to i don't know do anything really is just so silly, so silly, and not rooted in how real people talk to each other, and yeah. how few, how, how like few little things that happen in my life are related to me being a lesbian. Like I'm a lesbian who does them, and I'm incredibly gay, so everything I do is gay. But mm. like, on the whole, that not much of my life is yeah. surrounded about me being. I say like this one podcast is the one thing where it actually matters that I'm a lesbian. Oh, who does? <laughs> what? Speaking of lesbians and discourse, uh, something that has come up oh is or that I've seen is people who uh are upset that uh gay men have a, sl- a quote unquote a slur, um the f slur, and yeah. that lesbians have a slur dyke that is like exclusive to those communities but that not everyone yeah. in the queer community uh has a slur which i don't even like the phrase like but to have a also, slur it's also weird because it's like when when people use slurs it's not when people are like you know being hateful and using slurs it's, it's not like okay let me think you are you are a lesbian because you mm-hmm. are a lesbian i am going to use this specific word like it could, it doesn't matter if the context of it looks like it's like two girls kissing doesn't matter whether they're straight gay bi whatever like people who are deeply violently homophobic and lesbophobic are going to use specific slurs for them because that's the because these slurs are a result of um these social structures and systems that reflect and are kind of signaled through individual acts such as use you know like using slurs etc the same way that like 
often like trans women are oftentimes called like the f slur even though it's like well that this that's not it's not really making sense because like it like to to a normal person who is not you know really indoctrinated in into being in, really invested in being like transphobic all the time like it just it, that doesn't really make sense but and it's also like trying to police who can and can't like quote-unquote use slurs like or whatever well that's what they're upset about is because like in like also like the use if if the context in which they majoritively saw these slurs being used was in a violent or a way to demonize or to otherize people that they saw and like they saw the saw those interactions as bystanders like like a lesbian just existing being called dyke in a violent manner they would not be oh so yearning for their own little word that they get to use but because they are majoritively interacting with this language online in a way that's Mm -hmm. uh, often a part of like reclaiming and is used by people who have ownership of those words they think and they see people like joke around like i use the word dyke all the time i I, I think it's funny. I think it is funny in jokes. I like to call my other lesbian friends dykes in the same way that when I'm with my black friends who are not gay or lesbian, we call each other Negroes and the N word and also like use words that if we weren't black would be very, very racist. But because we are reclaiming, because we have ownership over those words, because but in that interaction with each other, we do not have the power to like oppress or traumatize the other person in that way then like that but also white people can't reclaim those words white people who see black people use those words in a funny manner in a in a joking manner with their friends can't go and do that with their black friends or with their non-black friends or or with their other white friends in a way that people who are not gay men or trans women or trans in general or lesbians see those communities reclaim those words Mm -hmm. and then think that like they want something to play with and to joke with that is specific to them that they they can believe other people not saying people genuinely just feel left out but it's like oppression but left out of what like yeah, you're left out of oppression be glad be happy rejoice like oh yeah. you don't suffer you you are not someone who suffers from x y and z then why would you even want to have a word for you to use as a way to combat the existence of x y and z like it does not make sense and i it is not only a characteristic this is not something that happens just from the terminally online but it's also just like like white lgbt people or like you know people who like don't really just don't really have the capacity or understanding of how systemic oppression really works uh really just trying to grasp at these at straws for like identity points almost and like i think that the internet is it's 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 helpful in ways of like creating communities that are like exclusively for like lgbt people or exclusively for like black people or exclusively for non-white people like when you're it's good in that way but the other thing about the internet is that every like people can see that everyone can see those interactions like 
like I can like we can all view we can all view these things um and it it makes there's no like closed community space yeah. anymore yeah and I mean and particularly because of like the pandemic and there's literally like yeah or just like the space, in general. but the internet yeah. in general makes it so that everyone is a viewer and consumer of everyone else's like cultures and stuff and while like liberalism kind of like presents this and even like the notion of like globalization or whatever as like this positive thing this concept it's like to be honest no because they're just there's some things that like there's some things that I should not be aware of <laughs> like there are things that I do not need to know about other people and yeah. other communities that you're not that I'm not a part of like why would I want to know because if not for the internet if not for this specific thing that allows for me to be a viewer into other and to be a voyeur in other people's lives um I would not know this like that is not something I would even understand to be something that is cool or desirable or fun or edgy or whatever like and that's what people ultimately view like slurs to be I feel like um and but also when people because I've seen this online because I've been online for a thousand years and I'm stuck there forever. Mm -hmm. But is that whenever like this comes up of like, there are just some things that are specifically for other They're like, oh, you shouldn't gatekeep. And what about sharing? And, you know, sharing what if what? I learn oppression? everything? Yeah. Gatekeeping what? Oppression? Yes, I well, will gatekeep oppression. Like, <laughs> like people accuse lesbians of gatekeeping lesbianism all that I don't know yeah. what that means it's another result of being terminally online yeah but like this idea that non-lesbian should be able to say dyke mm -hmm. which I disagree with yeah yeah I I agree I agree I do think it's really silly um and I remember a couple years ago I was having this this conversation with my friend who well my ex-friend at this point you you know who I'm talking about right them like years ago at this point and at this point like neither of us identified as lesbians and neither of us thought anything of it and but they were like they would say dyke all the time and or like whatever and I would be like I was like mm, I don't think you should say that like I don't know if that's something you should be able to say and we had like a whole like hour-long FaceTime conversation and they were like, well, like, my lesbian friends, like, don't care, like, or not that, like, basically something along those lines or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but that word is kind of pretty specifically used against lesbians. Like, that's, that's kind of something that's specifically lesbophobic. Like, I, I don't really think, I don't know, like, you're not a lesbian, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, and they're very much just like, and they're very, like, butthurt about it. Um, and like, you know, whatever, trying trying to tender queer their way like use the social sjw language their way out of that and i was like mm -hmm. okay whatever um but <laughs> i was gonna tweet this but then i i didn't because i wanted to ruminate on the thoughts but maybe maybe now with another person i can yeah i can yeah what are your thoughts talk about this is i was gonna say it's like like thinking back on my bisexual era it's like because I identified as bi, 
and so many of my friends or specifically my friends online identified as bi but now three four five years later we've all realized that we are in fact lesbians and not bisexual looking back on some of the conversations that we had I was like we had some like the takes as at the time of bisexual that I had on bisexuality or on lesbianism were some of the worst like or specifically on my bisexuality was like some of the worst takes ever because I was and am a lesbian trying to like broaden or change queer language or whatever in order to like fit how I felt your experience yeah but in reality but instead like I was like full circle loop lesbophobic in the past because I was not dealing with my own internalized lesbophobia and then projecting that onto that does that make sense yeah and being like okay well I'm bi but this is how I experience attraction this is whatever but that means I am bi and actually no I I, I'm not I'm not that like this is not that's not I'm not that um and no that's it's very true and I also think that like (laughs) it reminded me of your friend um saying dyke before they came out as a lesbian and therefore did not have access or or you know the ability to explain that language but then which is still wrong i'm not like yeah saying that every closeted lesbian or someone who hasn't come out is like completely forgiven and i i cringe at remembering the past conversations that i had and yeah i think one time i well, this is the thing, though. Um, terms like, like the like the F slur, like the D slur, like the T slur, like mm-hmm. ed, like queer, the ter- like whatever. All these things, like these were all things that were kind of, I mean, at least where I am, like in a more rural part of like, I, I mean, where I where I used to live, like in a more rural part of more rural suburban part of like Midwest America, these words were used pretty interchangeably against anyone who was like gender nonconforming in any way or gay in any way. Um, and so like my friend's kind of justification for this was basically being like, well, with slurs, it's like, well, am I the thing that they are calling me? Um, like, am I that thing? And are mm-hmm. they being derogatory towards me when they're saying it? Then if these two things check out, then it's like, okay, whatever. Like, I can say it because people are using this terminology specifically to, like, b- b- harass me. And, like, they've been called, like, they've been called a dyke and, like, e- like every every homophobic slur, transphobic slur you can think of, it's, like, it's happened, you know? Um, and, like, yeah. You know, but I don't, well, uh, I, the, the disclaimer of like, am I the thing and are they using it against me? Because there are non-black people who get called the N-word yeah, in a exactly. racist way. Often. But it's also like, but you're but, not black though. And exactly, that term is but they used don't, against they, people they who don't are black. They don't in turn get to use it. And that's like the justification for like a lot of people, especially non-black, yeah. Hispanic people and Latinos love to say the N-word. They sprinkle it on everything. I heard it like in high school, like I went to school with these people my entire life of hearing people use the N-word so uh, liberally (laughs) in every sense of the word. This this happened around me too. And (laughs) it's like, 
no I didn't really get it because I mean I was in a program one time and my roommate was also a girl from St. Louis and she was black and she lived in like Florissant like North County um like Ferguson and um our one of her best friends at this program we were at was this like white Cuban girl um and I remember (laughs) I was like so I was asleep and like we were roommates basically and I was like asleep in my bed one day I was like half awake and I could hear them on my roommate's bed and like I could hear the white girl like continually saying the n-word um and like I mean the person she was with like just was laughing and like didn't care or whatever um oh and I was like, oh, what? Like, but I was like, I was just like asleep. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's okay. And I just rolled over and fell back asleep. Like, <laughs> I didn't really think much about it. But like, looking back, it's like, you know, but it also, it's funny because some of my friends or like people that I know who went to like predominantly black schools in St. Louis have also <laughs> like the, there'll be like three white people or like, three white people like four non-black people in the entire like grade level and they would kind of those kids would kind of get like extensively bullied (laughs) and people like like this was so funny people were talking about how like they were like yes we like we all sit around this kid and like yell at him and be like like say the n-word <laughs> say it say it and he'll just be sitting there like close to tears and I'm like that's so <laughs> I mean when I hear those stories if I said that I thought that they were funny you know <laughs> am I a bad person when they were telling us they were like no I like I felt bad I was like that is literally <laughs> it's so it's a little bit funny it's it's a little bit a little Teenagers, bit and white like, people if if you if you're listening to this episode and you're getting mad look in the mirror look at the color of your arm yeah. if you are yeah. white i don't want to hear it it's because so that's silly funny. it's honestly so silly it's like so many online interactions that t- that generalize people's experiences and identities in in a particular way are in a lot of times like it's like it's super non-applicable in in real life because a lot of when you like to posit like oh this entire group of people everyone who holds this identity um like you know is is in is inherently oppressive within the power structures that be and that is true ultimately uh, like the way that specifically within like lgbt discourse it plays out and like within queer communities it it plays out it's like people find it difficult to contextualize these like these interactions on that like structural level like it's such a minute like little circle and like your your individual interactions with different people of different identities online doesn't have to it's it's not never like no one is a reflection of their entire community and to frame anyone to be a, um, a representative of their entire community at any at any and all points is really silly as as I think is trying to speak for like all other people I mean like in some ways it's just like there's no there's when you speak in generalizations or when you speak it's like which many people well, on the internet there's do there's a difference it's like, between like speaking in generalizations and speaking about the larger power structures right. at play and I think like that's the 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 oopsie daisies of most queer discourse online 
is that they talk about like they 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 generalize without actually talking about the structures at play and then that is why so many of the takes in the discourse one seems to like never be resolved and happens every year and also like doesn't amount to anything is because they like like play the things identity so, politics yeah and so situational as opposed it, to institutional. situational and yeah. like non-intersectional because they're really not or in the disc the, the particular discourse that like we are talking about the, the particular strain uh that we're talking about is like things that don't happen in real life is like situation a what they're yeah. talking about right in situation b is they're also not taking into account like what is actually happening and instead just making like blanket terms like yeah this happened when um well i don't i don't want to talk about this because i don't want them to like come up again on our account yeah. but when people were like um bisexual people get like uh denied asylum this times much more than like gay men or or gay women or something for for seeking asylum and it's because like the judges or whatever don't understand bisexuality or or, like want to see performance of queerness these are structural things that like happen because of like the particular power structures and understandings of queerness and it being a performance and not someone's actually like lived experience and what that means for like someone living their life versus like trying to prove that to like the state you know and those are like real discussions and conversations that can happen should happen but that that those articles or those instances instances or that particular form of state violence on queer people and queer people who are unwilling or forced to perform their sexuality for whatever reason is different than making the blanket statement that every single bisexual person ever is more oppressed than a lesbian or a gay man in a way that like that's often what these like real things get boiled down to which then becomes not productive and not meaningful in any way yeah because the idea, I, I don't like the term, like, like oh, oppression Olympics or whatever. Um, I blame like, Netflix. When Netflix put it in the show, that's when it show? falls to the walls. Did you not see that? You've seen the clip. Have you seen the clip? I don't think so. Oh, it's so cheesy. It's from Ginny and... Oh, Ginny and Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. And the, it's two mixed kids, and they're arguing, and then one of them goes, like, let's go oppression olympics and then they like try and like do this like back and forth of like their different experiences and identities so who's more yeah yeah Yeah, no it's like that's very it's a very funny club i mean it's supposed to be serious but it's yeah no it's so silly because that's ultimately what people end up sounding like i feel like yes no it is exactly what people sound it is literally they're like um actually but because there are i mean the thing is is that there are moments where it's like you're literally white you're wrong but then there are also moments where it's like that has nothing to do with what is going on right now uh like why what 
it's this is this is so unproductive people are just pulling up random things to and and throwing them at the and it's like the idea of the like even just the conception of like oppression or olympics or whatever is that like people are so like oh let's not play oppression olympics or whatever and it's like that's because you would lose honey because you don't you don't actually expect this and you're not you don't have the fucking guts to acknowledge that and to process that and to like sit with that beyond just a simple statement of like i acknowledge my privilege i have this privilege that privilege this privilege that privilege i hate i've started things that used to be meaningful i don't even know if they ever were meaningful i don't know but people run things like i hear you i see you yeah i acknowledge that i'm privileged yeah or i know that i'm what but okay this is the issue is that you do that but then you don't shut up and that's the issue the reason why we want you to say these things is because we're trying to tell you that you should not be speaking or people uh, your opinion has been reiterated for the past 400 years we know we know your takes there's no take from your lived experience that you're going to say that is that is new and profound and earth shattering that has not already been just the status quo for the past literal hundreds of years so like when you say or or when people say I know that I'm privileged or I'm white, but, or I'm cis, but, or I'm not a lesbian, but whatever. And any uh, insert, what is applicable to your conversation that you're having? And then you don't end that sentence and immediately stop talking. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't count. You're yeah. backpedaled because yeah. the, the reason why you have to acknowledge those things is to realize your place in the conversation what actual water do you hold? What is your stakes in the actual conversation yeah. that is being played out? And so if you're having conversations about class or the criminalization of poverty or, you know, whatever, and then yeah. you say, oh, I know that I come from this household background or yeah. I know that I'm financially stable and you don't immediately stop talking, you don't, you've ruined whatever, whatever good points, whatever good karma you thought you started that sentence with. It, it, it's turned into like, uh, not to be rude, but, and then you just say something incredibly rude afterwards yeah. or like, like, no, shut up. Just don't say it. Your, yeah. your voice is not needed at this table yeah. at this moment. Right. What, like what is the point of piping up what's the point of including your voice in the discussion when we all it doesn't matter what you think and and often because of the like the form of generalizing and not actually talking about structures that affect uh queer people and gay people and trans people like in reality and because of like it's terms like well I'm this and I think this and so because that's like my sexuality then I'm instantly like right and valid and can speak for other people that's how you get things like the uh, the white gay and HR thinking that like you can have a gay friendly corporation or business or something like that's how you get gay cops at pride and stuff like that is like no some people should not be allowed at the table some people are wrong even if that is their identity or their experience like cops should not be at pride you like and and liberalism that that boils everything down to one's identity Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating the reason why identity is important 
is because it relates to and is connected to power structures and institutions. Like that's why it matters. It matters that you're not white because people who aren't white grapple with racial capitalism in a different way than people who are like these the reason why like but the thing is is that to preface what you're saying with like well actually I'm trans so I think that in order to be in order to be trans you have to be a b and c or oh I'm gay and I don't think that person is gay because a b and c or like the opinions that you have like regardless of what they are it's like sometimes it sometimes your identity has nothing to do with it and that's just kind of like your opinion that's informed by your experiences and listen is it doesn't have to be any deeper than that and the internet poisoning your brain into thinking that every single thing has to become a topic of like mass discourse is not actually real like it this doesn't this doesn't really matter <laughs> this is not how the world works there's just always bigger fish to fry you know yeah and I like it's it's just it's irksome it's irksome and as someone who has like spent so many years on in like online queer communities and stuff like that and I've gone through like my teenagehood adolescence very formative years and now I am like older and just more well-informed of of the actual systems at play, regardless of whatever age you find that out or or do that reading journey, whatever, is like, it just makes like seeing those conversations like so frustrating. And that's why I do not like to interact. Like, it's just like, once I see the 17 and unders on a tweet or whatever, (laughs) I'm like, Like, whatever. whatever. Because the 17 and unders, especially if- You're still digging shit out anyways. It's like, what authority do you have? And you just think that everything is so, like, the world is not going to be changed on Twitter. Like, it might share information, it might help people organize, it might help spread the word, but, like, the discourse that you think, the the popping off that you think you're doing (laughs) in a quote tweet, or private ratioing, or whatever, is not... One, you're not changing the person that you think you're dogpiling. And second of all, are you actually grappling with, like, what is happening? Is this a reflection of someone who's going to go out and commit hate crimes and, like, actually harm the people in the community around them? Is this something that you just do not understand and that is why you are, like, upset at what you're reading is because you actually have a lack of information? Are you engaging with the whole takes? And the thing is that even if if you're a part of the 17 and unders you think that you're doing all that but you're not okay yeah. so take it from an ex-liberal a teen liberal a 17 yeah. liberal you're not yeah. doing what you think a you're former doing. girl boss as yeah a, a former girl. a former girl boss as an ex-bisexual as, as an a... ex-bisexual liberal <laughs> girl boss yeah take it from me you're not do- and that's what i i because I, I feel it in my in my spirit in my heart is when i see those tweets i'm like mm. I probably would have tweeted that when I was 17. And that's embarrassing. You will look embarrassed because you're wrong. I was wrong. And you just just stop talking. Just do not do it. And who hasn't been wrong? Like, goddamn, everyone's been wrong at some point. Literally. Whatever. Literally, whatever. Whatever. Like, it it doesn't matter. It does not matter. (laughs) 
that's that's the takeaway from lgbt discourse online it does not matter like if if you if you feel yourself about to start engaging with lgbt discourse online this month just next year just don't literally just don't keep it in your drafts make a whole thread put it in your drafts tuck it away text a friend text someone where it's not public where you can just be like i don't want to talk about this but this tweet and not whatever don't do it it doesn't matter Go yeah. to GoFundMes. Donate to people's uh, transition GoFundMes that they're saving for. Help queer people get out of, like, actually abusive households. You know, work, see what, see what queer people in your community. Go to your LGBTQ, like, resource center. It's probably underfunded and under-advertised in general. Like, go to places where unhoused people that are going to be predominantly queer in some way are located and like like it like if you if you if that is something that interests you like if you feel like you're not doing enough if there's an outreach that you want to do and you see this discourse happening online and you're like this is my time to shine back away and do something that like helps people around you in real life real queer people who are suffering because of heterosexism or patriarch and or patriarchy that's my little my little two cents not to say that like political education on social media and in general is not like necessary and important because i think it is no it is i mean it's happening around this specific discourse and every pride month is that none of this is useful information or things that people need to be spending time and energy conceiving who gives a fuck (laughs) i do not personally i don't so maybe consider that like let's think about and it's also like I mean, of course, it's, like, funny to ratio, like, Ben Shapiro or whatever. Because he's, he's, he's a clown, you know? There's some people who are just fucking clowns. And it's, like, but it's like, whatever. But, like, he's very, he's a public figure. Ratio no, is exactly. someone who literally like, has, why like, are you 300 coming followers who or something. maybe has 800 followers or 20,000. Yeah. Who can't, like... like it, it, that doesn't matter. Rachel and Ben, like, Ben Shapiro is not losing sleep. I mean, if he is, that's very funny. I'm sure he... Yeah. he like isn't he married like his wife yeah. must here have to hear the absolute worst rants like whatever his takes are before yeah. he records them or i don't know what his medium is like uh i would hate to live in his house but um like that is funny because he's a public figure because there is a like a pair like not every twitter account calls for a form of parasocial relationships that like celebrity yeah. have which is an- another terrible part of social media in a way yeah. That everyone thinks that they're like removed because celebrities or public figures are removed from their social media accounts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all people only encourage social. And obviously, like celebrities being on social media and seemingly being accessible in that way only increases this like parasocial, parasitic relationship that you know fans and consumers of someone's work have with the people who like make that work. Obviously, I mean, but it, ugh, whatever. Um, I mean, you do, I guess it's time for us to move on to. Yeah, we should move on. Uh, the the yeah. take the actually wait read. before we do. Okay, this is something that is so funny that I remember Renaissance said. This is a take that Renaissance said to me in uh, my DMs I'm so years ago, before we were friends. Okay, and this made me laugh, and it was because I think on like a random post I made, I like, I said I I like type like queer, but I just like censored it a little bit um uh, like 
I don't, I don't remember. Both. I genuinely do not remember what year. Oh, yeah. I was going to say you so probably remember this. But I, I just censored queer, both for, like, you know, like, just censorship reasons in general. And also just, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, some, some people don't like that word. Who cares? Um, So I did that. And then, like, Renaissance swiped up and was like, um, why would you censor queer? Like, that's really exclusionary, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I just, it was just, I don't mean to be like, I was like, I don't mean to people so identify hard. as people queer. People can hear on the podcast. I'm like, <laughs> I want to yeah, light no, myself on fire. So oh clearly. my god! And I was just like, I mean, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I had so many different hostile people in my DMs anyway, so mm-hmm. it, it wasn't bothered or anything. But I was like, this, this is funny that this is the hill that someone wants to die on because I was just trying. I don't know. I, I wasn't thinking. I was not thinking anything of it. Which is the other thing. People, people take things like so personally on the internet, and you won't even be think it's like it's not at all what you were thinking. But anyway, that was something funny that I wanted to bring up before we moved uh, on. Yeah, oh my gosh, I, I've had, I've gone, I, oh, there's so many takes that I've gone on full hero's journeys about where I'm just like I fear the day that someone is like it's the, mo- the-, yeah, the fucking hero's journey no there's so many things and it's like none of them like because I wasn't like acting on them and ultimately have no power on any of these takes that I used to hold like generally it, like they were it's inconsequential that I yeah. that I had these thoughts and opinions however the worst part is that I did like converse about them and there are people who have that <laughs> and I'm just like there's so many moments where I can be like this you'd you know like this yeah. you on this so many you. like it's so I just like I'm like I, I we we have to uh slow like we can't get too famous on here because then people are gonna start digging in old posts and whatnot and I, <laughs> I can't defend myself I can't I can't what am I supposed to do I'm like yeah I used to be cringe I used to have bad takes and you know Oops. what that's Sorry. that yeah <laughs> One thing that is still good that I stand by is that Professor Marston <laughs> the Wonder Woman yeah. is a good movie. <laughs> Which uh, is what is how I'm gonna segue into yeah. the second part where Sunny and I talk about a piece of media that we consumed together. And really I think this shows my uh my journey of figuring out Sunny's tastes and where we uh, align and where we differ yeah and this is this was another experiment and I, I'm getting better I, I want to every couple of weeks see if I can test the waters again yeah because yeah. Um, I feel like the thing is is that in oh terms- so sorry for the top of this segment the movie that we're talking about is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman directed by Angela Robinson and it came out in 2017 yeah so that's what we're talking I about. was going to say I feel like the thing is is that just because I've been doing like booktube for a couple years at this point and I don't just like because so much of the conversations I have with my friends and like so much is like about media and stuff I feel like I've become pretty good at determining the things that the people that I know would enjoy or wouldn't enjoy like I have a pretty solid idea of the types of things that my all of my friends like to watch and like so when I like when I see something I in my mind I immediately have like a rolling list of things of people that I'm like oh you'll you'll like that you'll like that you'll like like when we watch Shiva Baby I'm like okay this person will like this this person this person like yeah and it's like there's some pieces of media that I'm like wow like 
basically anyone who read this or watched this would really enjoy it but i really think these specific people would and i think i'm pretty good at it which is why i feel like i think i've been pretty successful in terms of recommendations in the past um but for like i, I don't really recommend things well i uh not like in, to uh, other people like in real life like yeah your not in real stuff. life and never like uh in a you wait like like things like i was like oh i really like this is like my general recommendation you know like i've never like been like the only time that i do that is with music i do recommend songs and i'll text people songs and i'm like oh this sounds like a playlist or like songs that we mutually enjoy together like we have discussed that we like these songs that that's but in terms of of movies or shows I usually keep those to myself I have historically and I still do so this is this is my first time branching out and I I I don't despite it being my entire personality it sounds like I don't really talk about my shows with people in in real life with people that I enjoy because I find that I often get laughed at so yeah well that's interesting because I have always been very annoying about all of my interests with my friends regardless of whether they were also into it like when I through through my Hamilton phase through my Sherlock phase through my reading so much fan fiction phase through my like every single point at every single point in my life my friends have just been subjected to that and they just they're like okay whatever Sonny like that's what you like and like yesterday when I was hanging out with people I was like guys I just really want to listen to Taylor Swift right now and I subjected them to my analysis mm-hmm. of folklore oh and my gosh like, that was so funny the other night for people who follow me on Twitter when I said Sunny was shaking crying throwing up over these folklore points <laughs> that they were just, for the third time like we had fully discussed these themes <laughs> these and they were like turning blue in the face they could not speak fast enough to get these same <laughs> lyrics uh, like they were like, like beautiful minding, scrolling through these lyrics, trying to find like the missing clues. It I was, think I googled every single song. On literally, and like doing every, full acapella renditions and being like, see, see, see. And I'm like, yes, Sunny, I have, we, we, we listen to these albums together, like almost every night. Yes, I do see the lyrics and how they connect to each other. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah, so yeah, that's how I am with literally everything. Like, I and and it was it's nice though because I've always had friends who would who also just like happen to also be into whatever thing I was into at that point. Like, thank God, um, so that we could be annoying together and not just like me alone. Yay, um, but like, I I think that because of that, me and my friends all have a really solid gauge of the media that we like because we just we just talk about it like. My friend will be like, oh, I think you should watch Neon Genesis Evangeliana. I'm like, okay, why? And, and and he'll be like, I don't know if you'll like it, but I really liked it. I mean, <laughs> and it's like, and, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's just, at that point, at a certain point, it's just like the, the Venn diagram of media enjoying crossovers. It's, it's kind of, it's like murky, but because I just have a pretty, like when I watched The Queen's Gambit, I was like, I texted every group chat and was like, you guys need to watch the Queen's Gambit. Queen's <laughs> like, it Gambit did not matter who it was. I was just like, you all need to watch this. And then they did. And then we would talk about it. Like, you know. Redhead Anya Taylor-Joy is an underrepresented uh, Anya, in my opinion. Everyone's, oh, brunette Anya. Anya, blonde Anya. What we need to talk about is redheaded Anya. And Red-headed why, Anya. like, that uh, that version will it dominate is pretty the conversation. Superior. Beth Harmon, like, 
she could literally so sexy and I would be like bae thank you so much like the clothes the makeup yes the aura just the behavior the vibes were so immaculate like her and Cleo fucked in Paris and I stand by that no one will condone like I feel like it's so no there are people who 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 don't there there are people who do not think that that Cleo and Beth were were fruity I you and preach into the really choir you do not have to try and convince like my yeah, letter but i'm saying you. how would you not get it because she wakes up naked in bed with like okay anyway um anyway so anyways yeah that, like, we are so far from what we were oh yeah professor about. marston yes, yes and the woman yeah so this is uh for context this is one of my favorite movies i love the movie um, I've recommended it to other people online in the spaces that already like the things that I yeah, like. Yeah, so yeah. pretty safe recommendation. They also loved it. Um, <laughs> no surprise there. And yeah. uh, it's just generally enjoyed. Have I? Oh, actually, I, I, I have recommended this movie. I've recommended this movie to one other person in real life. And they also loved it. Lucy, if you're listening to the podcast, I recommended it to her. And uh, so this is my first time, but we didn't watch it together. She uh, she was like, you have a movie recommendation. I recommend it. She watched it. She's like, oh my gosh, I love this movie. I was like, thank you. This was my first time watching it with someone and also watching it with someone who had not seen it. And I have seen it like five times. Yeah. So, yeah. That was new. Right. So the concept is basically like it's a telling of a true story of the mm-hmm. real sort of the um, like how Wonder Woman as a character came to be um, and it's like about this psych professor who works at Radcliffe which it was the which used to be like a Seven Sisters like historical women's college that was a sister school of Harvard but after they did Harvard became co-ed like you know Radcliffe no longer exists rest in peace Rad- Radcliffe uh so we're following Mr. Marson and who's the who's a professor and his wife um and they like teach psychology and it's kind of an emerging field because it's set in like the beginning half of the 20th century mm-hmm. um so it's a kind of a new thing um in and- the 30s early 40s yeah or and- it goes to to like 45 is when it ends yeah and then eventually like basically one of the students in their class um is like the pretty one and she becomes their teacher's burn sorry (laughs) i'm just interjecting the details because i I do i i've seen this movie several times and i love it obviously yeah so she starts working for them and then they develop like this throubled relationship um and people are like wow that is so sick and twisted and then they like lose their jobs at the university and then in order to like supplement income and whatever they end up you know professor marston or ex-professor like mr marston ends up creating this comic that features it's inspired by like burlesque and like bondage and like bdsm and ropes and whatever Mm-hmm. Shit like that, right? And also the he was also he and his wife were really integral to creating like the the lie detector machine. So yeah, it was integration of all of these concepts and themes into this one character to be like a female superhero, um, and the first one to like really gain a lot of popularity. Um, and 
And Wonder Woman is a, a mix of his wife, Elizabeth, and Olive. Also his wife, but they didn't legally marry for legal reasons. Um, and so it's like a, an homage to both of these women in his life as well. Yeah. He's like, oh, she's the perfect woman. She's both of these two women together. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the reason why uh, Wonder Woman's alias is a secretary is because Elizabeth was the secretary and Wonder Woman has the wristbands because Olive would wear two bracelets on both of her wrists. And so there's like details in, and, and the last of truth is the lie detector that they yeah. worked on together that Mr. That Professor Marston did not patent because he's like, science is for everyone. Yeah. For the greater good. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So that's what the movie's about, basically. Yeah. And yeah, it's very, I mean, I texted my bisexual friends and was like, you should watch this movie because I like, it's pretty, it's pretty bisexual. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and the bi uh, vibes are very strong. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they've liked previous like previous movies that we've watched together. So, yeah, I think I rated it like three stars on Letterboxd. Like, in my, I was kind of just like, oh, this movie is like fine, but also I just I don't know, I just not really not. I was not quite really emotionally invested, you know. Like I'm not like I've never been like a superhero kind of person. Like I've never really been into that as a concept like it's never been anything that interests me um which is why i love like harley quinn okay i love her i love that yeah but professor it's not a superhero oh like there's no action scenes or anything yeah i know but i mean like the actual conception and the the beginnings of the creation of and also the characters of like superheroes never ever ever been something that i ever fucking cared about really even as like a small child and as kids so i just never i don't really have any like emotional attachment to any of the characters or like any of the universes that i feel like so many people seem to do or have um and i don't know this movie was just very it's very like overtly and like in this overwrought almost way like emotional and like sexual and like sensual like it was very much about these people's relationships yeah. with each other and how they change over time and the ways yeah. that they grow and develop and shift in accordance to the different challenges that are presented to them um yeah. and i don't know i just don't really care <laughs> like that, i don't think it's, it's not interesting to me where like, like it's not like that is accurate to the film we just react to those things being presented to us differently whereas like that is my I love that I love seeing a relationship that I where I think the the people involved are hot I have a huge crush on Rebecca Hall because who wouldn't and um well you might not but that's fine Uh, (laughs) but um I have a huge crush on the people involved. I like their relation. I love seeing relationships. I love seeing them through go through hard times, like in movies. And like you really, you really feel for them, and you just that shit. Or when like, like when someone like wants something that they can't have it, and it's like romantic. And also, I just love things that I I like things that are not um like 
below her mouth or blue is the warmest color overtly sexual because that stuff is cringe um but things like this movie or the scene well no that's different but like disobedience i really like um I couldn't get through the first 10 minutes of Disobedience. I was like, this is boring. Disobedience actually is my favorite movie. Like, period. Yeah. Yeah. We know. Period. (laughs) Which, that's that's a movie where I've, like, where I'm like, either this is something, like, this is a story and the way that it's told is something that interests you, or not. Because uh, I've I've, I've heard... being told that disobedience is boring, this is not the first time that I've heard this, and I've just learned to accept that there that it's like, you know, sauerkraut, acquired taste. taste. Yeah, like, like yeah. either you see it and you're like, yes, it gives you that buzz, or it doesn't. And now I'm just, I'm realizing, I'm trying to find what what sparks that buzz within you. Well, the thing is, is it's not that I'm, I don't like romance or anything, or like I don't like seeing it play out, because I do. I think it's, I there's. Like, why else would I be so obsessed with fan fiction for so many years? Like, it, the romance is what drives the story. What's your favorite r- romance? Or not, like, rom-com, but, like, movie where the plot is about a relationship uh, or a sexuality or sex or something? Definitely The Handmaiden. Like, there's explicit sex scenes in yeah. there. But, but the thing is, is that it, before anything yeah. else, it is, like, a thriller. Like, it is a thriller through and through. Or is I like I but that the thing is that is that that's not always like universally something that I enjoy. So it's just it really like so what's your situation. second or like what's another and not Portrait of Lady on Fire. So I was gonna talk about Portrait of Lady on Fire, but I'm like that's so Yeah. Well see Portrait of Lady on Fire is It's is good. Not- I love it. That's not to say I just think that it's yeah. it's I, I already know that you like that and that's a, a movie kind of like in your own. I wouldn't really be able to be like oh, this is, like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire in, like, this way, you know? Yeah. Like, what's the more... Um, I don't know. Well, like, I really like... Have you seen The Miseducation of Cameron Post? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, you need to watch that. But is that... Is that a a movie about gay people, or is it, like, a romantic movie? Like, is there... No, it's a movie about gay people. And there is romance and stuff and sex involved, and it's seen on the screen and stuff. But it is not... It's not in a. It's not in like a way of like wow, rooting for these two characters to get together in the end. It's ultimately about friendship, like, and it's ultimately about solidarity. Like, yes, and, like what is your favorite action. love movie? What well, is the, a- the Handmaid is like that too? It's about no, I know, but that's what I'm saying. I want a. I, yeah, I don't, like, I'm genuinely curious. Like, what is something that's like? Those are the most. Those are story. The most romantic movies I can think of that I've watched and enjoyed. Like, <laughs> like I genuinely can't think well, of anything else. Because, because I just don't go out and search for it. And then when I do watch a movie that's like a rom-com or something that's like heavily romantic, I just roll my eyes and think it's stupid. <laughs> or not think it's stupid, but just feel so eh about it. I read a lot of contem- like I read a lot of contemporary romances. Um well, not a lot. Like I'll read some historical romance, I'll read some contemporary romance, I'll read. Um, but something that I've noticed what I don't really like in romance novels and in fan fiction and you know the overlap there is pretty severe I think um it's something that I don't like is I don't like I don't like like into love obviously I I like when the tension that is built between two characters 
mm-hmm. the tension is that is the story leading up to them getting together not them being together like I don't like established relationship dynamics ever basically ever honestly I mean it, it's just not interesting to me um mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like there's enemies to lovers only works in very particular cases and never when it's straight um agreed um like childhood friends to lovers also i also feel eh about um yeah i don't like every book that i can think of that has romance in the story or like love and sex is like integral to the story it's not the primary thing ever it's not what it's about it it is the love and the relationship that is portrayed is there for the purpose of like for the purpose of developing the character and making the character change in some way for the better for, at the beginning to the end like in oh mm-hmm. i love normal people normal people is all about a relationship um yeah but the way that normal people is written it's written in a way that is so not sentimental at all it is so dry and removed and almost cold in its analysis of the people and how they these characters and how they interact with each other and i love that love that oh actually no um Aristotle and Dante discovered the secrets of the universe by Benjamin Alire Sands Sands S-A-E-N-Z um this that is a this is this is like a classic young adult coming of age queer novel um and it's set in the 80s in El Paso uh and it's about these two queer Mexican boys who become very close friends Wait, are we doing our recommendations or are we still no no no. i'm just oh, okay. to you because you haven't read this but mm-hmm. i think i think i like romances when the the tension and the situation at play is so const- is what create the those constraints is what co- creates that relationship or those constraints help form that relationship but the relationship itself is not the story it is the relationship kind of just propels the characters which are which propel the story i guess like in terms of tier rankings of things that are important to me like romance very bottom like the atmosphere and the setting really that's pretty important to me um like plot and pacing important to me um and character development and characters that's my most important thing like the characters need to be believable interesting well-rounded um well, same and, and i'm dynamic. not like if there's a kiss and if there's well all, obviously but all I'm saying, that but, like, i can throw all that out the window but the thing is is that my standards for what i think is like a dynamic and interesting character for me i feel like it's just really different from what you would imagine like what you think i i guess maybe our standard is different in that way like i don't know because i didn't feel i felt like in professor marston and the wonder woman no no one really they're all kind of the same from beginning to end like everyone everyone is ultimately the same like no one changes do you think anyone changes yes but like how so like i was like last night i was trying to see i was trying to see oh oh you were explaining to me oh this this isn't this mean meant that this was supposed to be happening but i just don't see it like i that's not how i interpret romance that's not how i interpret characters i i that's not how i process those things i like i can't elizabeth and olive go have such a character arc i i feel or, or how i i see it i feel like they are are so much like 
they're much more fully realized within themselves by the end of the movie in a way that was so performative in the beginning and then like by the end they're like real women who have this like real love in a way that that wasn't present and and you see that grow over over how they they communicate with each other and also one thing that I love about the movie in particular is that if the director herself was one not a lesbian and two like if she was a man would not be able to I think really fully develop the it, it would have it would have come off as like because someone in our mentions was like oh man having sex with two women bad whatever but the thing is that you like there's such a in or how I how I watch the movie and how I see it there's such an explicit and like in purposeful telling of Olive and Elizabeth falling in love with each other as there is of establishing that Bill and Elizabeth have their own marriage and their particular love for each other and that Bill and Olive have this blossoming and full of love relationship with each other but ultimately uh, the like the way like when they're together when we see them in the throuple it, it would not be possible if there was not literally like that triangle of love. Like if everyone did not have their relationship with each other and the way that we see those, like the way that we learn about them, the way that we see those grow in, in both the way that it's directed and the performances and just the writing because the uh, Angela wrote the movie as well. Um, I, I think it's just so it, it gives me that buzz. What can I say? I, I think it, I think it's very magical. It's very fulfilling to me. Very much in line with the style that I like and the the yeah, like that like that's just like I yeah yeah like it's like, just like very in it's, in the it's, beginning it's, again, of the film like... where. It, like one of the first scenes before they really begin talking to Olive. I think you were laughing at this scene. You didn't like this scene. I really like this scene. But there's this scene where Bill and Elizabeth are on the stairs and they're watching the sorority girls and the fraternity boys on the yard. And it's Olive and another sorority girl and a frat guy. And they are like removed and they're analyzing the interactions of all those people and like the body language because they're like psychologists and it's the thirties or whatever. And, you know, it's like kind of like when you watch like ants fight or something and they're talking about her in this like really removed sense. And they, they're talking about like the, they, they are literally analyzing Olive's performance of attraction and interactions. And what's that mean? And, and also throughout the movie, you see uh, like when, Olive does interact with Elizabeth for the first time. Elizabeth is very like dominating over Olive, but it's not a loving authority, which like is harped on so much in the movie. And it's not uh, like a consensual form of dominance and submission. And then you see that aspect change of, of, of who is dominating when. And then by the end of the movie, that's completely flipped on its head with the last scene. And you see the way that, uh, Elizabeth and all of how they talk to each other is completely different. And another thing that I think is really important, or one thing that I really enjoyed watching 
just from my perspective in the film is that Olive, who is supposed to, who is like initially presented as this like ingenue and also like super straight or whatever, she's the one that falls in love first with Elizabeth. Like Elizabeth and Bill are already married. They've been in love for a number of years. They have their own partnership. And Bill is like, yeah, my man, Olive's pretty, whatever, she's smart, falls in love. And Elizabeth can see this. But the love or the dynamic that's really like, like goes through it is the relationship between Elizabeth and Olive. And I think explicitly showing that Olive is the one who's falling in love with Elizabeth time and time again, when, um, when they're at the picnic and Olive says, uh, I see you in everything that you do. And there's like this, like, moment of silence before the men come back in and it's like there's 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 these little things like that that I think just make that just make it so much fun to watch like I I like it when movies are enjoyable but also I just think it it makes it makes me fall in love with the love that they're developing and it makes me feel like like those are moments and scenes and and things that I think could be missed but aren't and it like it it gives me that spark those are moments that i didn't that it's not that i didn't notice them because i was like oh yeah this is pretty an important scene i guess but my sort of emotional reaction to it was just kind of just kind of amused (laughs) i just i just found it kind of like ooh, yikes like it felt very cringe i was just like "Mm, i I don't i don't but in in the scene when they're at the picnic and elizabeth is writing the letter of recommendation for Olive and it's like you see that because in the beginning Elizabeth is such a bitch to Olive which I think is really funny and then you Elizabeth learn to respect and form this kind of like bond and intimacy and really get to know Olive in this way before she's even able to grapple with the uh, genuinely like romantic side of it and all of both in her naivete and just her being like I think the most romantic, it you know really just has these like rose lenses when she looks at Elizabeth, which is why when Elizabeth is a bitch to her, hurts so bad. But on another note, another like development in the movie that I think is really interesting to see and that I think is like interestingly portrayed is in the beginning again olive is this like you see her as this sorority girl and just very typical you know she's engaged she's set to have the white picket fence and the you know professional husband whatever and live a very conventional life and then i mean i've already said enough spoilers spoiler alert but whatever by the end of the movie she says as a, she's a single mom, she has a life of her own, making her own money, raising her own kids, completely independent, much more stronger, much less dependent on being attached to a man or, you know, following life is set or, or following even other people. She, she no longer is following Elizabeth on her heels in the way that she was before. She's a much more independent person. She, she has much stronger boundaries than she did before with in general and with the Marstons and then that's why like the last scene 
with the three of them in general, but particularly with the interactions between Elizabeth and Olive are just so charged and so like whoosh. And like, like you feel like you, you, or I, I feel one in general, the, the general you feel like you've seen them change so drastically to end. Yeah, I did not pick up on that. That is not something that I thought about. Or I thought about it in this in the in this really like shallow way of like, oh, okay, yeah, like sorty girl. Oh, now she's like she knows she's like gay. Okay, whatever. Okay, okay, I see. She's she now she's she's initially in the submissive position that she's not consenting to. Now she's in the submissive position that she is and she and she does have power within within that relationship. And now she's actually the dominating one who has the the power to over these other people that she can choose to exert or not like I would see multiple times you see her be the bravest one out of that throuple she she really like starts she kisses Elizabeth first two times she um you know leads the kind of like escapade behind it you know in the the theater she's the one that flirts with Elizabeth when when she stays home she's the one that's in the burlesque outfit first and it's just like and elizabeth you know is trying to keep this upper lip that ultimate that she like fails in in solidifying throughout the movie and and it's not until elizabeth sees olive fully accept and fully consent and want to be tied up with the ropes and wants to explore the side of her that like elizabeth follows suit um Bill is the uh, Bill plays I think an important role in the movie but because he's a man and and he's like down for anything that the entire film I'm talking less about him but in the end you know Bill's the only one that can see that like in order to make this work Elizabeth has been dominating so much and Olive has shown her vulnerability the entire time but if they're gonna have a sustainable relationship if they really are going to devote themselves to each other in the way that they end up doing in a way that is like meaningful and satisfying for all parties involved and for their children ultimately it is for elizabeth to be able to accept her vulnerabilities um and for her to be the brave one by not dominating all the time and also to like highlight that olive is like not the girl that they initially met you know in the psychology in in the psych class and who's the sorority girl they both they both have exited those boxes that we that were originally presented at the beginning of the movie and i think that's just so yummy and delicious i love it yeah it makes sense um yeah i like it, like it makes sense why people are like really emotionally compelled by this movie, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there's just something wrong with me. Maybe I just didn't watch it properly. Like I don't think I no. Like, I don't think I, I. I also think that it's like if if like because in the movies that you like, there's drama or in the way that like The Handmaiden first is a thriller and then there is like that sapphic relationship that develops and there's like like incredible things that propel that relationship if if going into watching this movie if you, you're not interested or if that or if the genre of romance or seeing a relationship 
go through this or that being like the basis and like the entire movie is around the relationship like if that's not your preferred genre then like the way that you watch it is correct it's just going to be a different experience than like me who like I love period dramas I love sapphic relationships I love watching movies about relationships and romance going through difficult times and especially the the like 1930s early 40s conservative kind of like going against the grain in that way I like stories about that. I like stories that are con- that love is confined because of societal expectations and the way that is portrayed in mm, Professor Marston and the I think I feel like I don't I I think I enjoy romances that are not confined by those institutional like things of like homophobia and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. because I I just really prefer and enjoy it when I'm reading a book or or watching a movie or whatever and like it's just an accepted fact that everyone is gay and it's fine like and no one cares like we're in a fantasy universe where gender is not real like I I like I like books and movies like that um I see this more often in books though because it's like I guess easier to it's easier to create universes and worlds that are more like detailed, thorough, extensive. And so I've read. So, and, and like, I just, I like that. And then like the, Oh, I'll, t- I'll, this kind of transitions into the recommendations, I guess, because I read yeah. some books recently that kind of re- remind me of, cause they, both of these books are, they're fantasies, but they have romance. that's really integral to the story and it ties everything together. And the reason why I like the romance in, in this story and these books, or even in like, I've talked about the midnight lie by Marie Rokuski extensively. Well here. And also on my booktube channel, I have like a whole 30 minute Marxist feminist, like breakdown of it. Um, but in that world, it's not so much that gay people aren't like no one, no one, no one hates on the main sapphic relationship because they're gay it's they hate on the sapphic relationship because they're from different like basically castes basically mm-hmm. like they're, they're from um and and in in this story it's called phoenix extravagant by yoon ha lee um and this is a fantasy novel and this sapphic relationship our main character is non-binary um but the audiobook is voiced by like a female narrator so like a sapphic non-binary i guess so um a non-binary person who's an artist and the and this woman who is the like head duelist for the ministry of armory in phoenix extravagant we are set in this fantasy universe fantasy world that basically replicates the japanese colonial era in korea so it kind of reminds me of the handmaiden in that way because it's that's that's the kind of setting there and it's like a main staff relationship that is driven by the conflict involved inherent to that but in this world what they're trying to do is make this automaton um like speak because the artist who's working on the automaton, this dragon, the dragon before, she mysteriously disappeared. We we don't really know what happened, but uh, the person who is like the 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 minister of armory, so like the guy who's in charge of all the military, is the one who recruits our main character out of the blue. Like our main character is just standing outside looking at some posters that are looking for it's a job description, and they're like, "Oh, damn, this pays a lot of money." Okay, and then the the literal minister walks up to them and is like, "Oh, do you want this job?" And no, already knows their name. And so they're like, what the fuck? But they they literally become, they 
have no choice in this and now they're working for the minister but right below the minister is a duelist like she's the top duelist in 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 this nation basically can kill anyone anything and put in front of her um and she is the one who is kind of like managing our main character's work and they develop like a sexual and eventually romantic relationship over the course of the story um the, but it's like it's interesting because it's it's a it's a colonial relationship like uh and it's a it's basically like a hostage prisoner situation but also, we figure out that our, our main character's sister is, like, working for the rebellion, and there are active rebellion groups against the Empire, but there's also the threat of Western imperialism, like, like our main character is like, yeah, I've never seen Westerners before, like, I've heard they have orange hair, that's really freaky, like, <laughs> throughout the story, <laughs> and, like, and so yeah like and so that's also a looming like that that's why you know the the japanese army and military is like trying to accommodate you know create these dragons these automaton dragons but anyway this fantasy story is so fun and so interesting um and our even though our main character is kind of annoying at times which listen have you ever met a non-binary person who is not annoying i have not so have you ever met an artist who is not annoying not me so yeah like this this book is ultimately it's su- it's very political it's very much about political intrigue and like like court gossip but within this like lens almost so and i think you would i think you would really enjoy it um and it's it's just it's just a re- it's a really good book and i really had a good time with it and the dragon character she's so cool oh and the dueler the duelist awesome the artist they're also cool like they're all these all the characters are all like very cool in their own way and um and there's also a lot of like trauma and relationships to that is explored because our main character's sister was married to this woman um but who who died during like fighting against the occupation like fighting against the colonial government gia the wife why do i remember her name and no one else's died uh so that's why like the the sister is so like committed to the cause um even though it's hush hush and secret and supposedly no one knows but yeah it, it was such a such a good book and i think it was written by a man which is interesting and i'm like okay because for a while i just i just thought that our author was a woman but then i looked up i looked at his website and i was like oh never mind i guess so yeah that's my first recommendation is there a way that the next recommendation can be slightly shorter? Yeah, it's a less complicated premise. Okay. And it's a novella, so much shorter than this like fantasy novel that's like 12 hours in audiobook. Okay. Hit me with your next one. That one, I think I feel like you've told me about this one before. I read this like last week. Like Oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. It sounds like another What was the one where it like it takes place on a ship and then there's or like maybe like a spaceship oh yes um in unkindness of ghosts by river solomon and there and there's like it's kind of like racial but like yes. or metaphor yeah. that's an unkindness of ghosts by okay river solomon it, yeah. it was giving me in in the way that i mean i haven't read either of them but in the way that you were describing the plot it was giving me very yeah sad. it's similar because they're both they're both books about like colonial hierarchies in this futuristic like fantasy universe that mm-hmm. like you know are analogous to the real world basically but yeah the yeah. next book about is um 
Princess Floralinda and the Forty Flight Tower. Basically, our main character, Miss Floralinda, is a princess, and she has been stuck in a Forty Flight Tower. Uh, it's by Tasman Muir. No. <laughs> I yeah, had no idea. No idea. No, it's by Tasman Muir, who wrote Gideon the Ninth, if any of our gay-ass viewers know that book, because I'm sure someone does. Um, and, like, basically, so yeah, this princess is stuck in the tower, but the thing is, is that she's just waiting for her prince to save her, but it's been, like, months at this point, and every prince dies, like, immediately when they try to save her, because there's, like, a dragon that guards the outside of it, the castle, but not only is there a dragon, every single flight on this tower there's like some disgusting creature you have to battle in order to get out to the tower. So for Linda, eventually is just like fucking sick of it. And she's like, okay, it's fall now. No more princes are coming. I, I'm just going to leave. Like I'm going to try to leave, but she's a princess. She has no, like she has no training or understanding of how the world works. She doesn't even know what creatures are live on the floors below her. And, but she remembers that the witch who locked her in the tower told her that there was goblins right below her. So she's like, okay, maybe I can bribe these goblins and the thing is that she has like witch magic in her room because she's stuck in this tower it's really boring you know Rapunzel tangled vibes but the thing is is that the re- how she gets like food is that there's like a loaf of bread that every time you rip a piece of it it grows back and or like and the same thing with an orange or like a glass of water as wow. you finish drinking it it just water just comes right back um kind so- of no, it, it, it is kind of a serve, but eventually she just gets so sick of it because she's like, I've eaten nothing but bread, oranges, and milk every single day for like <laughs> months. It's horrific. So yeah, basically she gets fucking fed up and wants to leave. So she tries to like leave, but it, things go awry because, you know, there's fucking like piranhas and like a poisonous giant spider and like, you know, like every level there's something else. So it's basically her trying to deal with that. But the thing is, is that a romance kind of, buds when she's trying to like air out her room basically and what and like this fairy flies in to to the room and the fairy has broken wings so she can't like want she can't run around she she can't fly which is her main mode of transportation and she's a garden fairy and as a garden fairy she's like i specifically deal with children who are dealing with parents who might be getting a divorce children who are thinking like like she literally like this garden fairy has very specific tasks and so when the, our garden fairy the garden fairy also is doesn't have a gender the gender is fairy um <laughs> like the and and at one point in the story it's a very short book it's a novella um uh, the, at one point in the story our main for linda is like so are you a boy fairy or a girl fairy and our and the fairy is like I've never thought about that before. What? What's? Which one is better? <laughs> like, so yeah. The this book is very irreverent and quirky and witty, but it's it's a retelling of a fairy tale, which you said that you liked. I do. Um, so it's a retelling of a fairy tale, but in a way that is like feminist, but not overwrought. It's not like wow, the princess saves herself in this one. It's literally this princess is just fucking sick and tired of it, and she just wants to leave. And in desperately trying to leave, she eventually has to pick up on sur- some survival skills with the help of the fairy, because the fairy is really smart and is really interested in magic and chemistry. So when she when the fairy tumbles in and is like, oh, and the fairy also does not give a fuck about Floralinda. Like Floralinda, when the fairy first walks in, has like her hands all bitten up from fighting the goblins and they're like infected and she's like gonna die from the from her the infections. But she doesn't even know because she doesn't know what infection, she doesn't know what goblins are and like how dirty they are and why it might be infected. And she doesn't know how she would go about treating her hands even if she knew they were infected. But the, but the fairy who flies in is like, is like, okay, I'll just wait till the next week and when the full moon arrives 
so I'll just recharge my fairy wings in and then leave. And she's like, oh, oh, Florida. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, so you can help me leave my tower then. Um, do you think you could help me before you leave? And our fairy is like, you're going to be dead before then. <laughs> and Florida is like, what? And, and the fairy is like, yeah, I'm probably going to leave like in 10 days, but good luck. Like basically the fairy does not give a fuck. She is a t- like, eventually she becomes gendered as a girl okay so the fairy does not give a fuck about floralinda but and floralinda is ultimate like floralinda is so lonely she has not interacted with a single soul because she's stuck in a fucking tower so she's so lonely so she's like desperately clinging on to like the fairy but the fairy does not like her at all um and so it's just a very fun dynamic where like these two people these characters they would not in no other situation would they ever have met like and it's very particular to the fact that she's been stuck in this tower by a witch um and it's it's very it's a very sweet story it's and as soon as i finished listening to it on scribd i immediately listened to it all over again and i started reading it at like 2 a.m i was just like i could not fall asleep because i was like i need to finish this it was so yummy and delicious and amazing and also i just loved i love the point in a story when you can see the relationship like shifts so drastically but in a way that neither of the characters really wanted to they're like oh begrudgingly i am in love with you because also florinda throughout the story is like i'm a princess i should love every single thing but you're really mean so i don't know how i'm gonna love you like and that's the very beginning of the relationship versus at the end when like you know they like fall in love eventually so yeah that's those are my recommendations amazing i really like i that you are very good at um pitching stories but this one this one sounds good and like up my alley because i i love retellings of fairy tales i had a whole phase last year where i for a whole month all i read was fairy tale retellings because i genuinely could not like i every day i would google fairy tale retellings that just really (laughs) i don't know I don't, it gives me that buzz. I don't know. I mean, I do know it's because I was obsessed with Once Upon a Time in middle school, but but I don't even know what made me, like, they just always, anyways, off topic. My recommendations. I have, I have one that I've already told you about, and this is really just for the audience because I want to talk to someone about it. The first one is Succession. I'm not even going to fully recommend it. I just like, listener, if you're... Sunny doesn't watch uh, long-form storytelling television. I mean, it's 10 episodes a season, two episodes thus far. I don't even read fantasy series. If a book series has more than three books in it, bitch, I am not... I'm out. I don't give a fuck. Like, I just... I can't do that shit. So... And I respect that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna hold your digital gunpoint <laughs> to watch Succession. Um, but for any of our our dear listeners out there, those of you who do dabble in television, uh, please message me at any time about Succession. I finished season one last night. I'm going to watch uh, season two this weekend. For those of you who haven't seen it and do watch TV, I'll do a short synopsis for it. Um, and of course, I'll put it in the thread. I'm, I'm marking this as an official recommendation. Uh, it is a show. Really? Yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I know. You wouldn't believe it. It's a show about a family and they are like capitalists with a capital C. Even, even their names are capitalized, literally. Um, 
and it's uh but it's like a family business but like worldwide and it's almost like a off-brand kind of like disney or or uh uh in placement of disney because they own like theme parks and disney channel and they're in tv and news and in a way like like disney owns like abc and so they own yeah. abc news but it's then like they're also disneyland exactly and um and so the father the patriarch of the family is like really old um and and but like made the business sphere what it is like in manhattan like like a tycoon like cutthroat doesn't care negotiates fucking calls everyone a bastard all that stuff um and he has three adult children actually four adult children one from his first marriage and then three from his second wife who is divorced who, who he's divorced from and he's remarried and the eldest this man has married three women yes and um, i know one of my friends has a dad who has married three women and my grandpa has married three women I, is it they died because it comes from divorced the same now. grandpa I've, and they're all three my grand like have specific roles of of my grandmother i have three grandmothers for per grandpa oh my fucking god yeah because uh, uh, my grandpa that's my mom's biological dad my grandma who's my mom's biological mother then remarried and then my mom's stepmom also raised her from like 16 until she was out of the house um and also like raised my aunts and uncles and she's my grandma grandma kathy and then remarried before i was born to a woman who's like not a really a mother figure to my mom at all but is totally a grandmother figure to like me and my cousins because they married in the 90s before any of us were born that is so insane yeah okay recommending succession there is a father who has had a certain number of marriages and because of those marriages he has a number of children four of them and the oldest son of the second marriage is Kendall, and he is kind of, like, set up to be the main heir. He's, like, supposed to take over his father's position in the company and, like, be the next one. The eldest son from the first marriage is kind of, like, in this, like, hippy-dippy kind of thing. But, like, ultimately, but because he's, like, so rich because of, like his family and how much money he's inherited he's never had to have an actual job so he just isn't interested in working at the company and then the uh other son is just he's like very flamboyant and doesn't take things too seriously and so he wants like a proper job but like no one trusts him to actually like be c-o-c b-c-o-o whatever and then the other child is the daughter shiv Siobhan and uh she is a political strategist like she works on campaign teams and and things like that and she works in politics that's like supposed to be like her great shame right because her father's is like oops, this huge capitalist where like things actually get done in politics it's just something that you like play with on the side it's very very funny um and anyways it is a dramedy more emphasis on the drama than the comedy it's more just like the characters themselves are witty and like make jokes and stuff like that in the moment, but it's actually a big drama. And like I said, I've only seen the season, so I don't fully know the plot of the second. Um, but basically it follows their lives and also just like the father is like kind of evil and has never really loved his kids or like loved a, a very interesting 
would say not not very traditional do does any love. father love his children let's talk about that they okay. turn- anyways mm-hmm. and so the like everything even in the pilot episode which i think is so brilliant is the way everything's a negotiation like everything has lawyers like they do not trust a single person that they, that they are blood related to um in like this very just like hype hyper corporate manner uh that is really interesting to watch you kind of just see it play out and in the second episode or something the father has a stroke that like severely impacts his health and so how the future of the company and business deals and stock market and all that stuff influenced by who is the head of the company should it be the children is it time for the father to step down all that stuff and the politics and the drama that comes from it is uh shown over the course of the season and i'm assuming seasons and also like the personal lives there's also another character who's this uh a cousin of theirs like this french cousin who is like not wealthy or rich at all and uh he like initially gets a job at one of the parks that his family works out but then gets fired on the first day because he like threw up and was like high on the job like out of his mind and so his mom is like you need to talk to your uncle who's uh the father and like have him get you a job and so he ends up being like looped in and he's like he is a himbo like definition of a himbo is this character and he as much as i find him annoying because he's like so painfully stupid throughout the entire thing uh he really is a good good character he ends up growing on me in the beginning i'm like shut up shut up for one moment but towards the end he really starts to grow on me and he is useful in the way that he's such an outsider both in class and also just lack of spending time with the family that uh having him in the show and a part of the dynamics is really useful because he kind of plays as like when he doesn't understand something it validates moments where maybe the uh viewer doesn't necessarily know exactly what's going on and it allows the, there to be like various steps uh, so that, you know, not every character has a like very deep intimate knowledge of each other, but also you don't feel like you're getting to know everyone at the same time and not everything is hyper explained. So it gives the writers room to play in that aspect. And anyways, it's very interesting, very well written. The directing of it, I think is really interesting because the, the camera moves in a very uh sitcom kind of way like similar to the office or uh parks and recreation where the camera like whips around to catch the reactions of other people or you feel like you're spying in where the you'll be at one frame and then all of a sudden the lens will punch in or punch out to like show that the camera is like alive while while doing it which is like more of a gift Performance like the office, you don't really see that in dramas as much. Um, and so that's really interesting. And it's kind of like it gets a minute to take to get used to, I think, in the first like two episodes, but then the more time you spend with it, it like it feels much more natural to the fabric of the show. Anyways, completely brilliant. Uh, highly recommend. My other recommendation is the children's hour, specifically the film from 1961. It is directed by William Wyler. It was originally a play written by Lillian Hellman, 
who was uh, suspected of being a communist and I think like uh, interrogated or something. What's uh, the like, movie called? The Children's Hour. Okay. Um, originally a play written in 1934, but the movie that I'm recommending is from 1961, and it has Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine. And the, the it's been made into a movie two times with the same director, the first time in also the 1930s. But it was heavily uh, edited because it deals with homosexuality. And so because of the Hays Codes, the plot of the uh, first film was heavily altered between the play and it was then recreated in 1961 to like stick to the original plot and in this movie we see these two women Martha and Karen Martha played by Shirley MacLaine and Karen played by Audrey Hepburn and they run this like schoolhouse boarding school type thing somewhere in a rural city in America but that has like a lot of like old white wealth uh where these families send their kids to school or specifically their daughters to school and they have like family days and the girls love it there and it's super fun and uh Martha and Karen are college friends they met in university and they've been best friends ever since and they opened this school and Karen has a fiance uh who she's engaged to marry but she kind of keeps on like putting off the date of like when they're going to get married because she wants to stay and like build the school with Martha and like be it financially stable and like she's really passionate about that so she's like I don't have time to think about the wedding because I'm working on the school with my bestie and uh Martha like doesn't like the fiance and she's trying to pretend like she okay with it and everyone's like you hate this man with every fiber of your being and she's like no I don't even though like we totally see that she does and everything's going good until one of the troublemakers at the school gets uh in trouble again and she's like fed up and she's like oh these women all they do is attack me and antagonize me even though like she literally is like breaking the rules like they don't just single her out but and to get back at Karen and Martha she makes up a rumor that they are having uh, homosexual relationships but we actually never hear the rumor the rumor is actually never said out loud but it is inferred that gayness is involved and she tells her grandmother this on like when she's run away from the school and goes back to her grandmother and then the grandma like freaks out because she's like oh my gosh gay people should not be around children and goes and tells all the other parents and the school eventually like closes and we like you we see recover how they combat these rumors and that in the entire time Martha and Karen are saying like it's not true they don't for the majority of the movie they don't know why the kids are leaving the school we see like them struggle there's like a lot of um like just a lot of tension and a lot at stake because also they 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 don't have they they didn't invest in anything else like all their money has gone into into their school they've like almost like made themselves broke for the school and so now they are like on the verge of losing all their money and no one is believing them and even though Karen has a fiance and and all of, all of the drama that ensues from 
trying to just like keep their school alive and also combat these kids who are making up rumors about them. And yeah. And then and then you you see that played out. That that's as much as I can say without saying anything. But the uh very interestingly, Sherlyn McLean said that while they're filming, they never her and Audrey Hepburn never really talked about the like gay aspect of the movie or the sexualities of their characters in in any particular way like as though they just like said the lines and did the performance and that's all but it's like so clearly and inherently gay and also it was so censored before this movie because of the way that it deals with lesbianism for the time and the place uh that it's like talking about that I, I find it impossible for them to at least have not known that their characters were gay, especially Shirley MacLaine's character, uh, who hates the fiance. Like it, it, every, everything about what it's like to be in the closet or to have a queer female friendship in that way, uh, being so close to someone where you blur the lines of, of how, what you feel towards them. Everything is said except for the word gay and lesbian, that like, I find it hard to believe that it it wasn't so glaringly obvious. And it's so, the performances from both Audrey Hepburn and Charlotte McLean are gorgeous and make you feel so much. Like I I, I felt like swelled of emotion that I I haven't felt for Like, I don't feel that often for movies. Um, And like, just like, hit in your stomach it I like I, I cried at the end of it it was gorgeous um so yeah that's my other recommendation and I think I think this is a, a stronger recommendation because the romance is not the main like part. the driving factor yeah there really isn't a romance in a way yeah. yeah and and the the plot is propelled by other other things like yeah. everything else um and yeah. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Is it in color? Is it black and white? It's black and white. It's noir film. Okay. I have not watched a black and white film since Roma's released. Like in 2017. Like, well, I saw Roma in theaters, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen anything else that was in black and white since. Or even before, honestly. Yeah. I had to watch a couple because I took a French film class. And so, French New Wave and noir films and yeah all okay. that fun jazz anyways so those are my recommendations this is i think our like longest natural episode our longest episode to date and for no reason either like genuinely for none for none at all <laughs> this it's been I'm almost gonna, three I'm hours edit. of recording three I'm hours edit so much um <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay well we might thank you so we much might for break. listening yeah, we might have to break this episode up. Anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Lavender Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Renaissance X is the first E, and on Instagram at Renaissance Marie Sunny. Where can they find you? Instagram Sunny with the camera. YouTube Sunny Book Nook. Twitter Sunny Book Nook. Hee <laughs> hee. Awesome. Please remember, or if you're interested, you can email us at the Lavender menace podcast at gmail.com for any hot takes that you want us to go over or if you have 
or just to say hi in general. We love hearing from you. Uh, and we also love interacting with you guys on our Twitter. So you can always go ahead and follow us there. And with that, we will see you guys uh, next week. Have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.